Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to Football Chat with May and Kat. I'm Kat. I'm May. And this week we are going to do another rendition of us breaking down our thoughts around the games that have happened over the weekend. We're going to look at our FPL teams, although, to be honest, I think I'm just going to withdraw at this point. And finally, we are going to be talking about some of England's biggest clubs and their downfalls. May, remember last week we were talking about racism in football? Well, literally within 24 hours of that conversation, something else happened. Yeah, so... In the Champions League, PSG against Bashak Shahir on Tuesday night, one of the Bashak Shahir assistant coaches received a red card. Uh, and what followed that was essentially one of the UEFA officials, the fourth, the fourth official, used some sort of racist language, uh, There are various recounts of it online, so what he actually said, I'm not going to repeat, but he used some sort of racist language towards the assistant coach and it kind of started a a heated argument. I think people have probably seen footage of this online. But the game paused, the referee came over and after a few minutes of everyone milling about waiting to see what happened, the players walked off the field. Wow. First, the... First, the Bashak Shahir team went off and then the PSG team followed, which is quite remarkable. Uh, It's fantastic. It's great that the players have taken action and said, you know what, this is not acceptable. We're walking off and we're not continuing this. What I think is also great is that you have these high-profile players such as Neymar and Mbappe uh, who are against this and they're tweeting about it they're posting about it on social media like you said it's great that high profile players are talking about it because that is a sign of it becoming less accepted of course and UEFA are doing an investigation into what's happened I really would hope to see that whoever was on the bad side of this is some is in some way punished or something happens because Fans are supposed to be banned for life after doing something like something as such, and I don't think it should be any different for officials. May, let's talk about fantasy. So I'm not feeling too confident at this stage. I captain Salah. I went with the crowd. I had FOMO. Um, you of all people know how long it took me to make that decision. It was between Kane and Salah for hours. I sat there researching, what do I do? What do I do? And then ultimately I decided, I said last week... I need to trust my Egyptian roots, and that's what I did. It didn't serve me too badly, but I definitely could have done better had I captained Kane. But to be fair, had I done many things differently, I would I would probably be doing better. So that's my two cents on my team. Uh, the, the ultimate pain of thinking, if I had have just done this, I think I'd probably be about 
300 points ahead if I had have just done the things, the other things that I thought every week. I captained KDB and for me it was a pretty easy decision because I was quite sure that City were going to bang in a few goals against Man United. But it was a Neil Wall derby, which for starters, no one wants in a derby. And then secondly, as someone who Captain KDB not stoked about, I was watching the Liverpool-Fulham game thinking, this is fantastic, everyone's Captain Salah, and maybe I won't do so badly this week, and then they get a pen. So also frustrated about the fact that every man and his dog, Captain Salah. (laughs) I sold Salah a couple weeks ago when he was out with Corona, and I bought in Bruno, and now I don't know how to get him back, and I want him so badly, but I can't. I can't afford him. I can only afford him if I get rid of Kane, but I have a little bit in the bank. Ah, she's a high roller. He's a most expensive player, definitely. You're a high roller, mate. got some money in the bank. I am. It's because I I downgraded from Zayic to Jota, and now Jota is also injured. But my, my theory was, well, I don't have Salah, I'll get Liverpool... I've actually already made my transfer for for this next game week. I sold Jodda, obviously. Uh, there's no point having him on your even on your bench at the moment. And I bought in Torres from Man City. This one was recommended to me by a friend who actually made the top 100 in Australia for FPL last week. Shout out to Jesse. I mean, that's an amazing ranking. I can't even imagine how cool that would be but if he thinks it's a good move I'm gonna go with it I've I've looked into it it seems like it's gonna work even if he doesn't get a full game he can score I could afford him Man City have great fixtures I feel like most of it is in my favor at the moment so that's what I'm doing Man City does have great fixtures and yes they're versing West Brom this week so my initial thoughts in buying KDB and Cancelo in the past few game weeks has been they've got, got good fixtures coming up. I need city exposure so that I can rake in some points. Mm. But Pepperlet. Pepperlet, yeah. And I, I want to captain KDB this week, but I don't know if I will because he played a full game on the weekends. And I can't trust that he's going to even start against West Brom. I remember last year he was rested against Norwich in a similar situation. And I was really frustrated with that. And now I'm worried it will happen again. I actually remember that, that Norwich game. That was pretty nuts. I think a lot of people had captain KDB or at least had him on their team. And yeah, nothing came out of it, which was a shame. um, And City lost to Norwich, which was incredible. Uh, But if I don't captain KDB, my alternate is Bruno because Man United are versing Sheffield United. Yeah. And Sheffield, I think that's a pretty safe bet. It's probably a safer bet than KDB against West Brom. Yeah, I'm on the... I'll see how I'm feeling. And it is a short deadline this week, so I only have until tomorrow afternoon to, to make my mind up. Which is easier. I don't have to dwell on about dwell on it for about a week to decide <laughs> what to do. Yeah, sometimes having less time is better. I don't think I've ever made a decision as quickly as I did today. 
uh, a little advice from a friend and some research and I was like, you know what, that is it, done, locked it in, made the transfer and I'm not even going to think about it. I will, however, be captaining Fernandez, Bruno, because I feel like it's a no-brainer against Sheffield. But, you know, at this point in the season, who knows? Honestly, who knows what's going to happen? Because we saw some wild results over the weekend. Liverpool won all against Fulham. I'm not happy about it. Man United, Man City, like you said, the derby was a nil-all draw. I don't think you want that from any game, let alone a derby. Palace and Tottenham tied on one. Everton beat Chelsea. It was just a weird, weird, weird weekend. Let's also talk about the fact that Liverpool are versing Spurs next week. How are you feeling about this? Look, I'm excited because I think it'll be a good game. I'm hoping that... uh, both teams, you know, show up. But I am really concerned about Liverpool and the injuries at the moment. Our squad isn't 100% and you need to be if you're facing a team like Spurs, especially at the moment. Um, We don't have Jota, which scares me a lot because I've actually come to really appreciate him over the short period of time he's been in the team. He's extremely reliable and he's had quite a lot of impact. So I do think we'll feel his absence. Yeah, it should be a good game, and let's hope for more than a nil old game like what I was hoping on the weekend. Yeah, let's hope. So just to change it up a little bit, we were sent in some questions through Instagram from people that listen to the podcast, and some are about us, some are about the sport in general. So I thought we could answer some in and around the content today. So the first question was about how we met. So... It's a cute story. We've briefly touched on it in our first podcast, but basically we were introduced to each other through my brother who worked with May at a bank. Kat's brother would always go on about how I reminded him so much of his sister. We one day met at his engagement party, didn't really talk much. It was a little bit awkward. We started playing football together and and turns out we do actually have a lot in common and the more we played together, the closer we became as friends. I think we really bonded when we went up to the Central Coast for a weekend football tournament. That was a lot of fun. That was fun. And that's... Got to know each other on a four-hour drive up to Foster and and then we shared a bed and we just got to know each other on another level. <laughs> another question that we got was favourite females in football. So I was thinking about this question last night and the first person that came to mind, obviously you've got your Australian women making it big in Europe, Sam Kerr and Ellie Carpenter and... Uh, I mean, most of the Matildas are doing great over here. But the two people that came to mind for me were actually Jess Minda and Jules uh, from from Bendit, like Beckham, who is not actually real people. But that these girls play football, albeit in a fictional movie, was a really big deal to me as a as a young girl who also wanted to play football. And even now, I will sit down and watch that movie and and just really enjoy it and it's I think it's a movie that still is really relevant today for girls trying to get into the game that is nuts because we haven't we haven't talked about this but we've both thought of the same thing that is so crazy I completely agree just Minda in particular Jess so 
integral to my, I guess, my motivation to play. And it sounds ridiculous, but it was so cool to see a female in the media who wasn't blonde and blue-eyed and really skinny and tall and whatever. But you saw someone that seemed more normal and you could connect to be it the fact that, you know, you come from a culture and she came from a culture and her family had to kind of get used to her interests. And that was really important for me to see because I felt a little bit like that too. I never had that same pressure on me to not play, but I definitely had pressure on me to to do other things. And I think that's that's where she stood out to me as a really important character. And to this day, I will put on Bennett like Beckham and I will quote every single word in that movie. So let's actually talk about what happened on the weekend. And we, we kind of touched on the fact that the Manchester derby was nil all. We touched on Liverpool drawing one all with Fulham, Palace drawing one all with Spurs, which is great. Let's talk about Arsenal because... Arsenal lost 1-0 to Burnley and Burnley were one of the few teams that were below Arsenal on the table. There are not many teams below Arsenal on the table and we keep hearing about this is the worst start to any season Arsenal have had since, I think, 1981. But there's a lot going on. There was a, a red card from Tzaka, there was an own goal by Aubameyang. There were a lot of missed kicks. It, they had opportunities that they couldn't finish. And similar to their, their North London derby against Spurs last week, they have, they have these opportunities. They have crosses into the box, but they're not finishing well. When, when they're in position, they're, off, they're shooting off target. There's an evident lack of confidence. What's going on? They are, they're super messy at the moment and not like good messy, bad messy. I think we're seeing, and, you know, we've talked about this before, but football is cyclical. You know, there, you can only be at the top for so long until at some point something changes. A team cannot adapt to every single change that happens and you see them fall and so we've seen Arsenal fall we have seen Man United fall we've seen teams throughout history like Leeds um, you know like famous like doing a Leeds is a phrase for basically messing up and you know once you've kind of fallen into that bracket it's not a good sign and so I think it's worth kind of exploring why Arsenal have fallen the way that they have. And even I'll admit that when Arteta first came in, I really saw a change in the team, but it just goes to show that these issues are so deeply rooted that they're probably going to have to do a lot more than replace the coach in order to recover from, from whatever they're going through right now. It's definitely more than just the manager's problem at the moment. Uh, as you said, it's cyclical and teams can't just stay at the top forever and things change. But it's also the fact that sometimes things don't change when they're at the top and that's when teams start to fall. Totally. I think in the case of us, I think in the case of Arsenal, 
there were probably a series of events that occurred. Moving to the new stadium cost them a lot of money financially, of course. They've had a series of bad transfers Mm. where they've signed players that were too expensive and haven't really delivered. They've re-signed players on expensive contracts that are now kind of beyond beyond their age and, and their weight. They've had a really poor run of team leadership in the sense that they haven't had a, a solid captain for quite a while. In In the past, they've had good captains that were sold to other teams. They've gone to rivals. They've chosen not to re-sign contracts. And then last year, you saw Granit Xhaka getting booed by fans and, and yelling back at them and telling them off and then no longer being captain after that. Yeah. And, of course, we saw what he did did last night against Burnley. So it shows that there's no leadership amongst the players as well. Yeah. Uh, the, the other thing I want to touch on is the fans themselves. I mean, like we said, the fans booed off Xhaka last year in a game against Palace. Uh, they also booed last night at the end of the game against Burnley. They they are the first people to to be negative towards their own team. And you can't help but think, is this also part of the problem, that the fans are causing a lot of toxic negativity? Absolutely. There's fan media such as Arsenal Fan TV, and I know a lot of clubs are now kind of going down that line of, of fan, not that it's promoted by the club, but fan-made content that's becoming more and more popular. It's but all Arsenal about fan TV is AFTV is known for being really negative towards players and putting them down and scapegoating. And you can't help but think how much this is actually damaging their confidence. And when you watch them play today, or not today, but these days, last night, you can see that the confidence is gone. Absolutely. Uh, and I think it takes a I think it'll take a lot more than than a new manager to fix the problem. So I don't necessarily think getting rid of Arteta is is the solution. Yeah. I think it's a regression and it's down to a series of bad decisions that have been made, been made over a really long period of time. As we were saying before, all clubs get it wrong from time to time, but I feel like Arsenal have made huge mistakes consistently and that's why they've pushed their fans to the point of frustration. You couldn't have said it better, the fact that Arsenal fans are the first to speak down about their club. That is so true. And uh, it's usually it's usually frustration that leads to a rhetoric like that. I think we've seen crazy injuries over, over the years with them um, and we've seen, I think the contract extensions are what make you feel like the club is a bit of a joke. Um, extending contracts of players that barely play makes no sense and it, if anything, it, it goes to show that they're super rich but it doesn't make you think that they're doing anything correctly from a strategic point of view. And it's a little bit of a piss take, honestly. Yeah, and if you talk about a strategic point of view, you've got Aubameyang and Lacazette, who are both fantastic strikers in their own right, but don't play well together. So you have these two large signings with uh, 
with high salaries, no doubt, and they they actually don't do well when both players are playing. I, I found a stat last night, which is actually quite incredible, but it it's actually... Arsenal have won 50% of Premier League matches that the Bamiyang has started without Lacazette, but they've only won 41% when they've started together. Wow. That's bizarre. And so it's these, yeah, it's, it's these kind of strategic decisions, uh, team rosters that they're putting together that are not working. Uh, I think it's more than just a quick fix, such as a new manager or a star signing. There are some deep-rooted issues. And perhaps what the club needs to do is take the pressure off Arteta, off the players to win titles straight away, to win trophies straight away, and give them a bit of time to rebuild the team and, and start up again. Because these things don't happen overnight, and it can happen. Mm. I mean, using Liverpool as an example, but Klopp transformed the team over a couple seasons. It wasn't overnight, but it was a few years of signing the right players and getting trust back from the fans and building those relationships again. And and within a couple of years, they were champions of Europe and, and the Premier League and the world. So I think it needs to... It needs to be given some time and the pressure to win right now needs to be relaxed a little bit. Yeah, I think, yeah, as you said, it's just a it's a consistently making bad decisions. Arteta doesn't have the the capacity as one man to change what has been years of poor decisions. It needs to be like a Klopp renewal I suppose, where you accept that you may have seasons where you don't get great results, but you need to be signing the right people. You need to be getting rid of the right people. A player like David Luiz, it's, to me, that's a very frustrating signing. It's very illogical. He's a poor defender and he hasn't really brought any substance to the team. And, that, and he keeps taking their free kicks. <laughs> it's just... Every time. Uh, as they say, Arsenal are the king of mistakes. So I hope for their sake, for the fans' sake, that we see a change. I, I still think, you know, that they are a prestigious club regardless of where they are placed on the ladder. We've all been there with our teams, you know, one way or another. So I think it would be nice for them to, to see some substantial changes made so that they can they can see some real improvements on the pitch. Staying in England, another team that has dropped divisions and their standing at the start of the decade versus now is severe. The change is severe. It's Manchester United. They were the titans of of the English, European and world games. We had Sir Alex Ferguson who made the club such a dominant force within the English game. It was an era with Sir Alex Ferguson. They were in two Champions League finals in 2009 and 2011. We've seen them finish in the top three once since 2013. And it's just been a complete debacle, to be honest. I'm no expert on Manchester United. I don't go for them. Uh, But I think it's something that anyone who pays attention to football has seen. And 
in general, the way that we talk about the team these days is a lot like Arsenal. It's disappointment after disappointment and our expectations are extremely low for the team. If it wasn't for Bruno Fernandes, I probably wouldn't even put the time into paying attention to what Man U are doing. In general, I feel like you couldn't really find a better indication of how far they've fallen than looking at the current standings in the league and seeing that they haven't really done anything extraordinary in a really long time. I think it also goes to show the, the impact and the importance of what the manager can do because it's it's pretty obvious since Sir Alex Ferguson retired that they've fallen from grace growing up our generation mm. man united were the team absolutely and they had star players and they won countless titles but yeah now they've they've fallen out of the champions league this season and they're not really performing in the premier league either they're no longer contenders for for the top and that's a huge change from the football we grew up watching, is it not? You know, go back to Bennett of like course. Beckham, and that was the that was the team. That was it was David Beckham. We've had Ronaldo. We've Ronaldo. had kind of all of these iconic players who have at some point crossed paths with Man United in their career. Yet for some reason, we find ourselves in a period of time where, similar to Arsenal, they just can't reach those heights and I think it comes down to obviously who's on the squad and what they're doing but I also think this is hugely a part of this cyclical nature of the sport and the fact that no teams can all be at the top at the same time and naturally you will always see a big club like this fall maybe it says more about how well other teams are performing than the poor quality of the other teams. Maybe they're doing well enough that Man United struggled to shine. Yeah, of course. And it's also, I think, investment. So investment into Man City has brought them up the ranks. Chelsea is spending big. Wolves are doing really well. Uh, it, it Unfortunately, money plays a big part Huge because part. money can attract the right players. It can pay transfer fees it can pay salaries mm -hmm. and when a club starts falling from grace when they lose that element that will actually draw quality players to their side if they can't offer things like champions league mm -hmm. or even europa league they won't get the signings thereafter and then financially they take a hit by not playing in these competitions at the same time and that in turn will affect them. So it is this vicious cycle as Absolutely. well that you need to be at the top in order to attract quality players and you need quality players to be at the top. A team that I think is the epitome of inability to adapt is Barcelona. And living there and hearing the way that fans would talk about their team reminded me a lot of Arsenal in the sense that they were incredibly frustrated, especially with the board. It's run by the same people for so many years who refused to make the changes that needed to be done for the team to properly adapt to La Liga and Champions League. And all of these younger players that were coming through, for every young player that came through with Barcelona, it wasn't enough to, to counter the changes happening elsewhere. And I think it was evident in the results that they weren't delivering and they have structural issues that have led to Messi being 
wanting to leave the team. You know, a lot of this stems from systemic issues within the team that make the players unhappy. And a lot of great players have been signed and not really been able to shine whatsoever. Griezmann, for example, because the club doesn't create an atmosphere that allows that. And I think it's a real shame to see that, but, you know, it, it is part of that evolution and we will see a change again. But it's kind of wild to be at that point in history where we're seeing such powerful clubs, such rich clubs, really not as powerful in, in a football sense. Yeah, I agree. Barcelona are definitely another example of, of this fall from grace. <laughs> Should I give some context for listeners? Why we sound like we might be rushing a little bit. And we shouldn't be because I'll copper fine. I parked on the street as a one hour spot and we always talk over one hour. I've set myself up for failure and I'm going to get a parking ticket. That's okay because it's worth it. It's so worth it. Guys, you need to share our podcast so that we can make money off this. <laughs> okay, bye guys. <laughs> bye. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.